Hello, and welcome to Best Sips Worldwide. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, an American travel writer living in London. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, the first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by the history of cocktails ever since. Through the years, I've been lucky enough to sip some of the best made by the best. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let me introduce you to the movers and shakers of the world's most famous watering holes. Meeting in Chateau Maté, the busy Soho restaurant, my guest this week, Fabiano Latham, who was previously bar manager there, gives me a crash course on Pisco and its accompaniment, Nikkei Cuisine, which has taken London by storm. How did he fall in love with this sexy Peruvian import? I'll let him tell you. A lot of people come here and they say, oh, it's a Japanese restaurant or it's a Japanese fusion restaurant, which, you know, there's a million of in London. And I always try and get my point across that we are doing something different or we're focusing on a different element of Peruvian cuisine. And that's Nikkei. Yeah, so the word Nikkei uh, originally is a name given to Japanese descendants of the migrants that moved there. Um, there have been a few waves of Japanese going over to South America and settling in Mexico and Brazil and Peru. But loads of them went to Peru towards the late 1800s. Um, because they thought from Japan, it was like there was an industrial revolution and there was a war and there was like a samurai period and I think like a whole bunch of them just had enough. And they were like, Let's go somewhere else. I heard Peru was like paved with gold. People were like, oh, that sounds great. Um, and so loads of them sort of were farming, particularly for sugarcane. Um, there's a whole bunch of like Japanese barbers that opened up in Lima. I guess everyone needed their haircut. Absolutely, and Japanese have very cool hair, so that's that's why. Um, and yeah, a whole bunch of people went back to Japan, but loads of people stayed, and then so yeah, now it's just become a part of everyday um, cuisine. Their influence on the on yeah on the cuisine that happens. So you can see things like, for example, in ceviche, the the way the fish cut. It's almost like a clean-cut sashimi. Um, there's tiradito as well, which is you know a similar slice. Um, there's a whole bunch of sushi as well in in uh, in Peru, which is all Nikkei inspired. There's also chifa or chufa. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Which is the Chinese influence, which I think is why Peruvian cuisine is sort of being recognised now as such a gastronomical sort of you know explosion because there's so many different elements that help shape it. And this has kind of been introduced to London over the last, I would say, maybe three, two, three years. I think a lot longer, but people didn't really know what it was. Like Nobu, he does a whole bunch of Nikkei stuff, but he never really shouted about it. He was all like, yeah, it's Japanese. Well, it's definitely being shouted about now. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of the busiest restaurants in London. Now, how did that influence your drinks? Because you're a bartender. We're talking cocktails here. So how, is, that, is it a new thing that it's just rolled into drinks? I think we're extremely lucky here. And when I started this job, I was like, what on earth is Nikkei? Oh my God, I have to do so much research. And then I realized we've got such a wealth of ingredients uh, to play with and such a rich history to look back on and draw inspiration from for, for making drinks. Uh, the way you prepare them, um, the way they're served, garnishes, everything like that. You know, you've got Pisco, which I'm sure we're going to talk about soon. Uh, Japanese whiskey, you've got sake, you've got crazy fruits like yuzu and tamarillo and herbs like shiso and wakatai and all these amazing things. So for us, it's it's just a never-ending 
you know, as a sometimes you can get a bit stuck in a concept. I think in a restaurant and everything sounds a bit samey. But us, because we keep looking back further and finding new bits of information, um, we can we just have a, what's the word? Enormous wealth of things to draw upon to make our menus, which is awesome. And since you brought up pisco, let's talk about pisco because that's one of the major ingredients in these drinks, correct? Absolutely, yeah. And we're trying to introduce more and more of it. Um, but again, people really don't know what it is. You Even, tell us. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> I, I don't really know what it is. I like drinking it, but I don't I don't know what of, it is. Loads of bartenders go, yeah, I know what pisco is. Mm, and you say, what is it? And they say, oh, let's talk about something else. <laughs> like when we our guests, they say, oh, yeah, pisco, that's the thing with the egg white. And it's like, no, that's the pisco sour. But pisco itself, I think... To answer what it is, you have to kind of go um, sort of where it comes from and and how it was, how it came about. Because essentially, it really is just a, a brandy. Well, not just a brandy. It, it's a brandy. It's a, it categorized as a fruit brandy, which you know it, it kind of connotes images of something aged and brown, swirling around an amazing balloon glass, you know, around a fire after dinner or something. And that's great, but pisco is definitely not that. So pisco. <laughs> Uh, pisco Specific was, to Peru, though, right? Pisco? Yeah, we can, we can talk about Chilean, but I might go, okay. uh, what's that? All right. We're going to talk about where it began, which was okay. Peru. Well, so when the conquistadors went over to South America and said, Oi, Incans, on your bike, and uh, sort of took over everything, that whole coastal side was called the Vice Royalty of Peru. Once they were all settled and like, oh, this is nice, a nice beach, they brought with them vines from the Canary Islands um, to grow, you know, like church wine, because they're very religious and so yeah but they ended up growing so much wine because of the, the climate and there was like this whole underground irrigation system that they had no no idea about but all these vines really took hold and just you know burst and they started going okay we have too much wine for our church <laughs> so let's start sending it back to Spain um, so they started doing that but it wasn't very fair on the Spanish wine dudes and dudettes because they were like hey this, you know, it's much cheaper than what we're doing so King Philip IV, very Spanish name, said, can't do that anymore. Stop sending this stuff here. I don't want it. Um, so the Peruvians were like, oh, no, we've got all this leftover wine. What are we going to do with it? So they, they, they already had distillation, but they just started to distill more and more and more and more. And by the end of like the 1700s, Pisco was sort of surpassing wine production in Peru. That doesn't really answer what it is, though. <laughs> Um, but I did mention it. Well, now we know it comes from a grape. There you go. All right. It comes from eight grapes. Eight grapes. Eight okay. specific grapes. Yeah. So as I mentioned, it's uh, a brandy, but it's got very specific rules. What it is to be a pisco. First one is it's distilled straight to bottling strength. So you know sometimes, most of the time, a lot of the time, you would distill, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90 percent, and then cut it back down with water to your desired strength. But they just go straight to the bottling strength. So, you know, between 38 and 45%-ish. Uh-huh. Um, which means you, you're not allowed to add water. You're not allowed to add any sugar. You're not allowed to age it in anything reactive like wood or something like that. Um, anything that can change the flavor. It has to be the pure essence of its raw products, which I think is great because for me personally, I love products that taste like what they're made from. You know, I, you know good old age whiskey is fantastic, but for me, I, I find light spirits more exciting. <laughs> Um, you have to leave it to rest for three months because as I discovered in Peru when it comes straight off the still it's like oh my god what's that um, it's just really volatile um, but you can leave it to rest for 
anything up to sort of two, th two, three years. And it gets less volatile. Yeah, it kind of chills out. Just sits there like, okay, I'm chilling. Um, but that's in you know glass or or plastic. I think they use plastic a lot. It doesn't look very nice. You go there like, what? This is physical. What's what's that? Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah. So the eight grapes are split into two categories. First one is aromatic, and the second one is non-aromatic. Uh, maybe I, I could say the four ones. <laughs> The aromatic ones are called Italia, uh, Moscatel, Torrentel, and I don't have notes here at all, Albia. And they are fantastic, you know, super potent, you know, aromas, as the name suggests. And then the non-aromatic ones are Quebranta, Moya, Negro Corriente, my Spanish is rubbish, and Uvina. Um, and those grapes can be made into three different types of Pisco, so there's lots of different maths. Uh, the first one is a Puro. I sound weird with rolling my R's, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> which is the one that you'd find mainly in a Pisco Sour, so a Cobranta grape, which is a big, bold, bastard of a grape. Um, super powerful, and it needs to be to cut through, you know, to have a presence amongst the lime and sugar and egg white and things like that. Which oh, is... We're going to talk about a Pisco Sour later, so... Ah, yeah, 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 sorry. Jump the gun. <laughs> Jump the gun. Um, so that's Pisco Puro. You can use okay. any of the grapes, but that's the main one that they use to make a Puro. Then you've got uh, Acholado, which is a blend of different grape Piscos. So, um, and normally it's only two varieties, a non-aromatic and an aromatic. But you can, I've tasted ones that go up to like seven varieties. It's super complex. It's amazing. Are there just hundreds of distillers in Peru? Or there... Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mo mainly around like the Ica region. A mm -hmm. um, whole bunch. Yeah, loads. All creating a different style? Absolutely. Or do they keep to the original? There's a few there, innovators. I guess, is there original? The yeah. original Pisco and then all the other... I think, yeah, well, I think the Cobranta would have been... That was the first grape uh. that sort of took hold, so that would be the original. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of funky people, like the people I went to see, and they're doing some amazing things, and they're drawing inspiration from other spirits production and putting it into their own thing, but obviously there's some strict rules, so they're quite limited. So tell us about the Pisco Sour, because I think that is the most well-known drink. Absolutely. Of Pisco Uvra. Yeah. <laughs> I have to Google that word. So, the Pisco Sour was actually invented by an American dude called Victor Morris, who has the same birthday as me. Uh, that's maybe that's so why that's, you were drawn to Pisco. That's why, and we're actually in the 100 year anniversary of the Pisco Sour is this year, because it was created in 1916. Oh, fantastic. In Peru, in Lima, in a bar called Morris's Bar, because he wasn't very original. He's like, uh, Morris's Bar. My name's Morris. Um, and, because it, it was like, during Prohibition, so all these Americans were like, oh, I need to get my fix. Because Pisco had already been popular in California way before that, during the 1800s, because of the Californian gold rush. And the Pisco Punch predates the Pisco Sour, which everyone doesn't really realize. Um, Is the Pisco Punch still made? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was invented by a guy called Pisco John. <laughs> Even though his name was Duncan, but he had some strange nickname. Uh, yeah. So, Maybe because he drank a lot of Pisco. Yeah, the, yeah I think so. It just blew up. Um, you can't really go to San Francisco without trying one. That's where it was born. And we have a whole bunch here, but still the Pisco Sour is, is the main, is the one, because it's like the national drink of, of Peru. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but he, uh, Victor Morris, unfortunately, he died in like 1929, because he wasn't very... I'm not sure why. He wasn't very healthy. He drank too many Pisco Sours, maybe. Yeah, I think he... And ate too much uh, chicharrones. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so he died but he had a load of disciples from his bar and they sort of spread around Lima and soon enough it was like every hotel bar or little bodega or cocktail bar on the corner 
that was their signature drink, Pisco Sour. And what was, exactly is in a Pisco Sour? A Pisco Sour is Pisco, generally the Cobranta, Puro. Something else can get lost, you know, the, the aromatic, delicate varieties. Then you've got lime, uh, sugar syrup, and egg white. That's like its most basic form, and it's very simple ratio. The original is 3-1-1, so three parts Pisco, one part sugar syrup, and one part lime juice. But we had some of like 4-1-1, and we fell over. Unfortunately, in the UK, you kind of have to stick to the the 2-1-1 because of sort of licenses and regulations, and you want people to enjoy themselves, not just fall over. I assume it's a, it's a very popular drink here. Yeah. Is it hard to get those Pisco, Pisco Sour lovers to try other Pisco drinks? No, I think if you just have to have some confidence. Because again, you, you're always going to know more than them about what Pisco is, because no one knows what it is. So you go, ah, if you like that, try this. And they try that and you get their trust and it's great. Or sometimes I even bring them a taste. I'm like, look, just please try this, because I just Neat. want... Occasionally, not the Cobranta. I bring like the aromatic varieties and say, look, uh-huh. taste this, it tastes, you know. Do they ever drink it neat? Yeah, they kind of, their eyes start watering. <laughs> but, yeah. I've been uh, in Peru. Oh. I've been in Peru, sorry. <laughs> yeah, we actually tried some straight off the still, like the heads, which you're not really supposed to do, but we, we dabbed it, because I think if you drink it, you can go blind. Well, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Or mad, like absent, I guess. Oh, I think that happened in it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, tell me about your trip to Peru, since you've mentioned it so many times. Um, <laughs> it was. Uh, was this a first John for you? Absolutely, yeah. I've been to Brazil a couple of times, never been to Peru. Um, I sort of, I fell in love with this concept when I started working here, but I always wanted to go. Like the owners and the, the executive chefs and everyone went in the beginning and I was stuck here like, what's going on? So finally met an amazing lady called Natasha, who is the brand ambassador for Machu Pisco here in the UK. And I met her here and she was very quiet and she was like, hello. And then we started talking. I tried her Pisco and then we just sort of built this working relationship and became really good friends. She ended up sending us to Peru to meet the producer, uh, her cousin, who's called Melanie. And she was, I think she was named one of the top 10 female distillers of this year, which is great. And Mm -hmm. she has, they have two distilleries in Peru, which we visited both. It's a great name. Machu Pisco, right? Everyone's like, oh, yeah. Machu Picchu, like the place. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and so, but she makes a whole crazy range of different Piscos. So she makes puros from pretty much each of the great varieties. She makes a Nachalado called La Diablada, and they also have single varieties of that as well. And then the best Pisco I ever tried in my life, which is called Neusta, which I think is the first luxury Pisco there is. What it's makes like, it luxury? So they do a, a late harvest um, they harvest late. So they pick the grapes when they're super, super ripe, full of sugar. Um, and they make a Mosto Verde. So that's the third type we didn't mention before. It's uh, They hold the fermentation process early, so there's a whole bunch of residual sugar in there. And then they distill that, and what you get is just mad, green, fresh flavors. Uh, and what proof is it? Oh my God, that's a test. I think that one was like 43, something like that. Oh, so yeah, that's yeah. pretty high. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Um, but you have to use a whole load more grapes because you're halting fermentation early. Okay. So you need to, yeah, to get to the required strength, you need to use a whole bunch more. So it's pretty timely and costly process, but we got to try it then. It's amazing. And what do you feel you learned from the trip after, um, know, about Pisco? I learned that Pisco sours taste way better in Peru <laughs> for a few reasons. They used, we met a guy who used to make Pisco sours for Ernest Hemingway. I didn't understand a word he was saying, but I kind of, Got, his drink was good. I was watching him like he kept putting more pisco in. I was like, oh my god, he did like a four-one-one ratio. Also, they use different limes to us. They use key limes. Oh man! 
Yeah, which are those tiny mm -hmm. things with seeds, but they're just so much more punchy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm trying to work out a way of getting them here without. I mean, we have key limes here, but it's super expensive. I was thinking of doing maybe a, you know, a, a blend of Persian to key limes. Mm -hmm. They also the guy also did something to his sugar syrup, which I I thought I understood. He puts orange zest and cinnamon in there, and they blend it as well as we do, which is good because I was I was like, are they gonna shake it? Are they gonna blend it? And he blended it. I was like, oh okay, Ernest Hemingway, dude blends it like seal of approval so it's always blended no, not shaken we saw a couple of people shaking it but it's kind of half and half there yeah uh, how do they shake here or do they blend here we blend here because we have to make about I think the actual figure is one million a week no yeah that's a joke really? no not really oh. <laughs> so it's like it's like a thousand or something it's still a lot it's like that that's a lot. Well, you guys are doing so well yeah, here. I know. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about you and how did you find yourself loving Pisco? I heard through the grapevine that you have a Brazilian father. Yes. Yes, and that's why you have this fabulous Fabiano name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't dance. Mm -hmm. just, you know. So I would think that you would really be more of a Casasha guy. I was. You were. You were. Totally, yeah. I remember my first job interview for a head bartender role in a bar called Smoke Bar in Tooting. <laughs> and the guy was like, I was so nervous. Uh, he, was, he was like, what kind of drinks would you recommend for a group of, you know, guys coming after finishing work in their suits, whatever? I was like, oh, I would recommend a round of Caipirinhas. And I thought, that's a good answer. And he seemed to look at me and go, yeah, that's cool. And then he said, what would you recommend for a group of ladies coming in for like a Hindu or something? And I said, uh, raspberry Caipirinhas. <laughs> I just, all I knew, I just was Caipirinha. I was just obsessed with cachaça. So every answer was Caipirinha. Yeah, just different variations. Yeah. Mango one. What? It's not a Caipirinha bar. I somehow got the job. I don't know how. Um, he saw something crazy. Yeah, so totally. Cachaça was the one. But when I actually went to Brazil to meet my dad, I made him a Caipirinha. Sort of, you know, language barrier. Cheers, dad. And he sort of looked at me like, what the hell is that? And started drinking the cachaça straight. So I was like, ah, oh, that's boy. where I get it from. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, super nice. Mm -hmm. And so after, where was it? Tuning back? No. Yeah, tuning back. After yeah, nice one. Back? I opened a bar with my cousin, James Monero, and his business partner, Amici, uh, a bar called Monero's in East London, which we were open for about, well, I worked there for about three years, and it was just amazing. We were open until five in the morning, East London, so all the local bars around there, and I'm sure you know it's super rich um, for bars. You know, there's Kulukule and Happiness Forgets and all these amazing places, and they would come in to see us after their shift because we were open late, and we had a cool door policy. Oh, that's a great compliment. I know, but I didn't realize who they were. <laughs> and they started, and I started going to see their bars before I started my shift because I started quite late, and they'd come afterwards. And we built our relationships. Like, oh my god! And that's where I really started to get inspired. I was like, okay, I need to step up my game and you know learn more. And I have a sort of a niche because they all have their own you know specialties and things. And I thought, okay. Later on, I realized that would be South American spirits, namely pisco. Um, and then during that time, I started after I learned all these guys. Um, where they began I heard of a group called Rushmore or Match Group and they own like Milk and Honey and Giant Robots so I did a few shifts there and I was like whoa I need to learn a lot but their training program was so good and I realised I was a bit of a nerd because in school I was rubbish and I was like what's that what's geography oh, okay. um, but I just really fell in love with the whole i got to stop saying fall in love I enjoyed it's nice to fall in love so. I keep doing it every day uh, with yeah the whole because alcohol has everything. I mean, not alcohol. That sounds a bit weird. But you look at a bottle and you think, okay, there's a bottle. But if you really look at it and you think, okay, there's a story behind this. 
um, and everything has stories and it's great it's got some geography it's got like history it's got science it's got art you know and a label and everything so well, that's what I love doing why, what I do yeah, interviewing totally. all of you because I think everything has a story yeah. everyone has a great story of how they got to where they are how are they behind that bar what alcohol do they love why do they love it why do they represent it yeah for me it's really interesting and I that's why I started the podcast. Which is amazing. It's good to be on it. <laughs> uh, so you're my first Pisco lover. Oh, cool. Which is fantastic. There's a bunch of Chile and Pisco lovers. Oh, yeah, back to Chile and Pisco. Yeah, there's a whole bunch in London. And I knew, and there's a guy called Chris Dennis, who's like Chile and Pisco guy. And there's also a guy called Guy who likes Chile and Pisco. But there's no real Peruvian. I mean, obviously, there's other restaurants that they promote it heavily. There's like Miguel, he's a bar manager of Ceviche. He's a great, great guy. Um, but yeah, I just thought, you know, I need to push this. I need to build this category. But it's quite difficult because I, what I also I realized when I was in Peru is that the Pisco producers, that's the head chef shouting, the Peruvians um, are quite competitive. And I, it would be nice to see people working together more to get more brands here to push the category as a whole. You mean within Peru? The, yeah. The distillers, the bartenders they're not really the bar- bartenders but the, yeah the, the, the distillers in like a kind of healthy way I guess mm-hmm. it's good but I think to really push push it here how much comes over here well more and more now more and more. before there was just one bottle of Abba Pisco on every sort of bar shelf and no one really knew what it was which is Chilean um, and now new brands keep being brought to me here and it's quite funny sometimes people bring me a brand and they don't know about Pisco and it's like, do your research. Like, you know where you're coming. You, you need to try and sell this. And they're like, oh, Pisco's, Pisco's. No, it's so not. So how many different Pisco's are here? We've got, because we have a few different variants of of the same brand. So I think we've got about six or seven brands here. We've got a few variations of and each. And you ever do tastings? Absolutely, yeah. We do masterclasses, tastings. Uh, normally, I just do like spontaneous thing. I find someone who's slightly interested in Pisco and I go and irritate them for about half an hour. Try this, try this, try this. Um, we're opening, fingers crossed, a Pisco bar downstairs. So you know where you were? There's like a raised dining area. That whole area will be uh, a Pisco bar. That's so, fantastic. Yeah, so I'm in talks with uh, Lizzie, who is like the brains of the Machu Pisco organization to try and get more of their variants over here. Um, and working with Natasha and everyone to just try and build something really big. So become more of you know, a destination bar to come and learn all about Pisco without trying to bore people. It sounds like that's the natural progression, definitely. Yeah, I'd hope so. For Pisco. Yeah, it'd be that's amazing. You're making me thirsty. Okay, good. So let's, let's have some Pisco. Let's Piscos. make a drink. Let's do it. Blenders. <laughs> it was fantastic to have Fabiano on the program today. Unfortunately, you can't visit him at Chateau Mate anymore as he's off doing his own thing. But don't worry. I will let you know his news when he's ready to reveal it. A few weeks visiting family in Philadelphia always equals a stop in one of my favorite restaurants, Zahav, headed by award-winning chef Michael Solomonov. The drinks are just as great as the food, so this time I made a date to sit down with their bar manager, Jeff Bartosh. Come back next week to find out what they've done to the Israeli national drink to make it so addictive. Until next time, bottoms up. For more information and links to everything you've heard about, plus a bit more, please visit bestbitsworldwide.com. Thanks for listening to Best Sips Worldwide, a spin-off of Best Bits Worldwide. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and never drink and drive. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. 
You'll find me at the bar. <laughs>